got back from Chicago the other day and uh, came home and my monitor, my primary 38-inch ultra-wide monitor, has just decided that it's had enough of life. It's developed vertical lines all the way around the edge, so I've got like this vignette effect going on. That stinks, man. And it was, of course, happened just while you're traveling, so who knows? Who knows? Maybe a power surge while you're gone? Probably not. Probably just died. You know, it's because you weren't using it. You neglected it. That's why. Yeah, I think it's just throwing a paddy. You know, the best part is this monitor is three years and two months old. And let me guess, the warranty expires at three years? Of course. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that's that's too bad. But how was the trip? Good trip? Great trip, yes. Uh, we went to DevOps Days in Chicago, uh, and uh, we were at the bottom of the Willis Tower, the Sears Tower, I think is the, the real name. I don't know what this Willis thing is. Uh, we went to the top one day. That was pretty nice. So we got to look out over Lake Superior. Is it Superior? Mm. Well, Lake Michigan. Yeah, it's Michigan, right. isn't it, up there? Nah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> one of them anyway. It's it's pretty big. Uh, so that was that was fun. But the best part of the trip for me was the fact that we got to do a self-hosted listener meetup. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like it got pretty crazy. Mushrooms got passed around, acid, people got arrested. It went wild. Well, certain things are legal in Chicago. I don't think those particular things are. <laughs> okay. No, we had uh, four, maybe five listeners show up. So quite a small crowd, uh, relatively speaking, but it was very short notice. So, you know, you can, you can understand. And uh, one listener in particular brought his entire family, his wife and four kids. So we were playing around with his uh, five-year-old son who had some nunchucks running around the beer garden that we were in down by the river. It was, it was a fun time. You got to have somebody on defense, you know, somebody watching out doing security so that's nice to hear i love the idea of bringing the whole family in too that's get everybody onto the self-hosting bandwagon absolutely his wife looked at me and said i know your voice <laughs> like yeah oh okay yeah. yeah it really is real that's very strange now did she have a disappointed look or did she have a pleased look <laughs> oh yeah yeah and those, her eyes conveyed deadness to me yeah yeah that's yeah. not what i pictured she's thinking that's not what i pictured <laughs> she was picturing bruce willis and here i am yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I used to get that all the time. That's not what I pictured. I'm not sure how to take that, but it's all right. It's such a good time meeting listeners. One of the uh, chaps that showed up in particular is a graphics effects artist. And he does hmm. all sorts of cool stuff for different websites. Like um, I won't mention specifics, but you have heard of plenty of the stuff he's worked on. And it was just really humbling to meet some of those people that the phrase, you never know who's listening, could never be more true. Yeah, now, well, maybe we'll find out at Linux Fest. Maybe yeah. we can convince everyone to come out. It's happening sooner than later, October 20th through the 22nd, Bellingham, Washington, in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Dress in layers, though, because it will be October. Did you book your flights yet, Chris? Well, I, I booked the RV. I'm taking okay. the RV well, up there. Yeah. Lady Jupes yeah. is booked. That's good to know. Yeah, she is booked and ready to go. Uh, I, I don't ask for permission. I ask for forgiveness. And we'll show up, and uh, Friday night we'll be getting everything kind of ready to go. The real thing kicks off Saturday, and then we're on lunch duty Saturday. As we the are. JV yeah, brats yeah. to the front of the line, baby. <laughs> we're going to need some help from the audience because I was doing the math, Alex, and it's like, okay, well, if the event starts around, I don't know, 9 or 10, we're and lunch is at like 1130, we're basically going to have to start prepping at 10 o'clock. So we're not going to be able to spend, we're going to have to have crew because we can't have all of the hosts out there cooking for the whole day. So we're going to have to do rotations. <laughs> and so how many mouths are we feeding here? It's several hundred, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I you know, in the past, Linux Fest was five thousand ish, but it's been you know after COVID and stuff, it's you got to expect maybe that goes down a few thousand, and then not all of them want to eat lunch on on location. Some of them want to go enjoy the town. So uh, yeah, I'm thinking we we roughly estimate feeding six hundred people. That's still a lot of people when you actually. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of burgers, dogs, and pizza. When you think about it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have any experience in uh, mass manufacturing burgers, we would love to hear from you. Oh, obviously, must say, and you're going to be at Linux Fest Northwest. Right. Yeah, that would be good. No, no remote work from home here. Yeah. They also have a community sponsorship program that's something they're focusing on this year, and the pricing is pretty reasonable. If you're in the open source community or in the tech community and you want to get your name out there and meet some people from Linux Fest, we'll have a link to their PDF, which has sponsor opportunities ranging from about $3,000 to $750 and gets you quite a bit and gets you name recognition at, I think, one of the best fests in the country. Now, I've been a very, very long time Namecheap customer, probably a decade or more. I remember my first domain I bought from them. Just the name Namecheap sounds kind of sketchy. And I was like, this is totally not the right company to go with. But for some reason, I ignored this. And I went with Namecheap anyway. And I've been with them for, like I say, a, a decade or more now. Bought dozens of domains through them. Uh, and never really given them much of a second thought until this week. I got an email through saying that their .com domain renewals are going to increase by 9%. Mm. And it goes into effect pretty soon, too. It's it's not like in a year. It's not like in six months. It's like next month. It's it's happening. Yeah. So I guess if you want to lock in the old pricing, you could do a multi-year renewal now and they'll honor that price right now. But what really kicked me in the teeth about this was that the actual upstream pricing change, so the, the company the ICANN um, pricing like uh, price list, is only going up by 7% and Namecheap are just slapping an extra 2% on top for reasons which inflation are not clear to me, to be honest it's, with you. It's domainflation. Yeah. And the thing that makes it a little extra salty is in their blog post where they announce or in the emails where they announce the price increase, they pretty much put it totally on ICANN. Like they cut they straight up in there say, uh, look, we didn't like this, but Verisign oversees the .com domains. They have an agreement with ICANN. When those two companies want to raise the prices, there's nothing we can do, guys. We got to pass it on to you. But then you actually break it down. Um, yeah, it turns out that the fees aren't really going up that much and that it actually is their markup that's going up the most. So when they say the price increases are entirely out of Namecheap's control, what they really mean is we're going to rename the company Name Expensive. <laughs> yeah yeah not so cheap name I, it's still not a horrible price but where it starts to sting is those renewals right because now you've got you've got a much more expensive renewal and if like you and me you got a, like a dozen domain names well if, if 16 dollar renewal every year starts to add up when you've got a dozen of them we aren't all quite as much of domain hoarders as you are chris let's be oh. fair I, dozen was me putting a low number on. I, oh, I know <laughs> it was. I know. <laughs> I'm not really. Other people don't do this. You guys out there don't collect domain names. Like I, I I'm sure I have under a hundred. It's probably under a hundred. Okay. So oh, yeah, triple yeah. digits is is the bar now. <laughs> is it okay? Yeah. I don't even know if I have double digits. So I want to know. I want the audience to write in and tell us. Boost in and let us know what your domain name count is. 
Now, they're also raising the prices on .xyz domain names as well. So it's not just the .coms that are affected. I mean, we're talking a couple of dollars, right? You know, a a 9% increase on $14 is not the end of the world. And if you're running a website or a business, you know, that's just something you'd write off at tax season or whatever. But I think it's more about the principle of the thing. Like, if you're going to blame ICANN for raising the prices, and then also at that same moment use that as an opportunity to increase your markup just be honest tell us that and say current market conditions blah 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 we need to increase our margin because of inflation or whatever and i i think the internet might understand that more than just trying to pull the wool over our eyes but at least be honest it would at least be what's really happening there now just as aside um i have noticed over the last year so i've kind of stopped using namecheap and I reluctantly have transitioned over to using Cloudflare, and I am unfortunately quite happy with their services. Why do you say unfortunately? I I really do feel like I have learned this lesson over and over again, not to become too wholly reliant on a singular company. But you could always pick up the phone and call your buddy Danica, you know, remember from back in the day, GoDaddy used to, oh, yeah. used to sponsor the show? Well, not this one. I still call, but she doesn't answer. I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah. I did see a lot of comments on uh, lobsters and uh, Hacker News um, extolling the virtues of pork bun. This is a fairly new registrar that I hadn't heard of uh, much before. I think it was a a Joe Ressington show. I can't remember which one where they were talking about pork bun and Joe refused to use it because of the silly name, as I remember. Uh, (laughs) And so they, they are now actually cheaper than Namecheap. So if you're looking for a cheaper registrar that is up and coming, maybe pork bun's the place to park your bun. Tailscale.com slash self-hosted. Head on over there right now to get a free account for up to 100 devices, unlimited subnets, and it's a great way to support the show. Tailscale is a simple, secure network for a team of any size built on WireGuard that you can get up and running in just minutes. I mean it. If you got five devices, you could probably have them on a mesh VPN in three minutes. VPS, VM, mobile device, desktop, laptop, Android, ARM, Intel, it doesn't matter. Tailscale makes clients for it. And if you got a piece of hardware that you can't physically install the Tailscale client on, that's where the subnet routing comes in. I check all of my solar systems using the awesome subnet routing. There's a lot of nice software that comes with Tailscale too, like Tailscale SSH, which lets you log into all of your nodes over your tailnet, and they just updated the VS Code plugin. So now you can access files on any system on your tailnet using Tailscale SSH. It's all built on top of WireGuard, the best VPN tech in the business. Your devices connect directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol. All is encrypted. It's all a mesh network. It's the best security in the business. And the brilliant thing is with Tailscale, you can get started quickly and easily. And for us home labbers, this is the way to go. All my stuff is now done behind Tailscale. My file syncs, my information sync, even my media streaming. I do it all over Tailscale. And I love the tooling. I love the documentation. I use it for everything. You're going to love it. So go try it, support the show, and get it for 100 devices for free when you go to tailscale.com slash self-hosted. That's tailscale.com slash self-hosted. Alex, I got my hands on my $13 voice remote for Home Assistant. It's the Atom Echo Smart Speaker Development Kit. And I've got two of them. Oh, yeah. I remember we talked about this briefly. So it's uh, it's come in now, hasn't it, right? This is a sort of 
fingernail, thumbnail sort of sized little ESP speaker mic device. Yeah, you would almost think it's like a like a micro Bluetooth speaker or something. It is really, like you said, very, very small. And it does require constant power. It's got a USB-C port and then a little ESP32 inside this thing. And it's ridiculously cheap at $13 for this entire little box. And it has a push button microphone. So the microphone isn't always listening. It does say you can use it as a Bluetooth speaker. So if you want the worst audio quality Bluetooth speaker (laughs) ever made, then this might be your bag. But I presume you're going to use this primarily as a microphone and just a, okay, I'm going to do that now type device, right? Yes. So this, well, this is the promised land. You know, if you have Home Assistant 2023.5 or later, and if you're a Nebukasa Home Assistant Cloud subscription, or if you set up your own Whisper Piper Assistant Pipeline, which I've done both, and you got Wi-Fi and you got Chrome, you, you got to try this. For 13 bucks, it's the most no-brainer recommendation I think we've made on the show. Because you get these devices, you plug them in, you fire up Chrome, you go to the guide that they have to set this thing up, you, you flash it through the website, so you just... It, you know, as long as Chrome can see your USB device, the whole thing is flashed to the website. They rewrite ESP Home on there and set it up. They prompt you for the Wi-Fi details. They ask you if you just want to auto-connect it to your Home Assistant instance. It takes five minutes, and it's completely done. And then you have a dedicated microphone that's all over the LAN that talks to Home Assistant. And my God, it's fast. I mean, it. I thought HomeKit was fast. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, I can't even describe it. It's instantaneous because one of the things they do is they're transcribing as you speak. So if I say, turn off kitchen lights, by the time I get to lights, it's almost positive what I'm going to say. So the moment the, the, the word lights come off my tongue, the lights are off instantly because it's all happening right there. And the home assistant cloud service too is very fast as well. Extremely fast. And so what I have is next to my bed now, I have one of these little buttons and I can push it and I can speak into it to turn lights on or off. And one of the nice things about this is because they're so small and they're so cheap, you can put them anywhere. And I have really struggled with HomePods and Echoes and Google Homes when they're next to a white noise machine. I have a physical white noise machine that creates white noise in our bedrooms and they blast out the microphones and the microphones cannot parse over that noise. But if you can put it next to your bed with just this little box, you just press a button. It's far. It it works. It's far enough from the white noise. I can place them. I can place one right at the entryway at the doorway. So right as I walk in, I just press in and I tell, turn on the lights and it just does. And it's, it's instantaneous. That sounds really nice. I mean, that is kind of the purpose of a white noise machine though, isn't it? Is to (laughs) block out all frequencies (laughs) so that you can't hear them. And if you can't hear them then neither can Tim Apple. So, yeah, and it works. It does work, but it means like, you know, the middle of the night when the dog's throwing up and you just want the lights on, you're sitting there yelling <laughs> at the smart speaker. <laughs> I love you picked that as an example because that is one of those moments that you're fast asleep and you are suddenly very, very not fast asleep when yes. you hear that noise. <laughs> it didn't happen too long ago. And it was like, turn oh. on the lights, damn it. Turn on Poor the lights. Levi. <laughs> I don't even know what he ate. But the the thing that I think is truly, truly fantastic about it is since this show started, I have wanted voice 
commands that are 100% on LAN, no internet connection required. And it has been the missing piece of my home assistant setup for the last few years. And it's finally, finally here. And what I have now is I have in my default pipeline is actually the Nebuchadnezzar transcription because it's so damn good. But then my fallback is the local stuff. And it just takes slightly longer because I'm on an Odroid. I'm not on a really fast machine. But if I if I were on a more powerful system, it may be even faster than the Nebuchadnezzar service. It's finally here, Alex. At $13, you can have them everywhere. And they're private. So there's not really a privacy risk of putting a microphone everywhere. Don't you miss the fact that, uh, at least with the lady, the lady tubes and stuff, you could... Uh, Ask it to do other useful stuff like, I don't know, timers and uh, play songs by, I don't know, the Beach Boys or whatever. I don't know what you're into. I wonder if we won't see the Home Assistant community kind of backfill that functionality through Home Assistant add-ons and whatnot. Designing a speaker, though, particularly one design, you know, to match the, the, the form factor or something like the HomePod Mini, it's no mean task, no mean feat. But the flip side is you could build your own with huge speakers, fantastic sound, a pro amplifier, right? So you could go the other direction with this as well. And you could do a lot of them so they don't have to be as good as the HomePod, right? With the HomePod, the microphones are so fantastic, you only need a couple of them. But with this, you could have dozens everywhere. So can you do things like um, multi-room audio through this? If you used it as a media playback device, you could through Home Assistant's media playback, but not by default. Um, interesting. No. Maybe that's something but to if, explore. You know? If you had it, you know, if you had them hooked up to good speakers, I think it'd be worth exploring. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to keep playing with it. The next phase in their development cycle is awake word, so you can just shout out into the air, computer activate lights. Yeah, and it'll just do it. Oh, mine's obviously going to be computer from Star Trek, but you could be anything you want. And the other thing that I think is going to be really nice is you combine the always listening with custom phrases. Because you can input your own custom phrases to do actions. And you take always listening and custom phrases, and I think you put the echoes in the trash can. I would love it if you, when you say computer, uh, if Patrick Stewart talks back at you. <laughs> How cool would that be? <laughs> yeah. I want make it so engage, you know, <laughs> all those responses. I used to have an alarm clock as a kid. Uh, it was of the, the Enterprise. And, uh, you know, the big saucer on the top. So you got, you got like the engines out the back, and it kind of... To kind of dangle out the back, you know what I mean? And like the, the yeah. saucer part separates. Of course, you know this. And the alarm clock, in as a kid, it used to uh, say to me in Klingon, wake up, the Enterprise is under attack. Wake up and do something. And the way you had to fix it to, to turn the alarm off was actually detach the saucer from <laughs> from the engines. Wow, yeah. It was like a magnet or something. And That's uh, a pretty cool device. That'd probably sell for a pretty penny today. Uh, probably, I... Maybe it's in a box in an attic in England somewhere. <laughs> Who knows? But I'd love, I'd love to find that thing. I'll tell you what. Yeah, that's not, I mean, nothing gets the blood pumping like a Klingon attack. Well, this week, my blood did get pumping when I found a couple of really cool app picks. If you're the sort of guy that likes to live in the terminal like I do, I think actually a terminal might be my favorite video game of all time. Then this tool, GoTTY, there'll be a link to it in the show notes, uh, allows you to share your terminal via a web browser and this is so handy when you're trying to figure something out and a buddy knows how to fix it and you just want to show them what you're doing and things i mean 
I've played with various versions of this, but Go TTY feels like it's a lean, mean implementation. Yeah, the really nice thing is it's available for all platforms. You know, it's available for macOS via Brew. Uh, it's just a Go application. So right. if, if Go runs on the platform, then almost certainly this app will work as well. Uh, so what I started doing was pair programming with someone at work and, uh, you know, Go TTY. And then I would bring up Tmux as the process that it was sharing. And if you enable write access with a, a tack W uh, as part of the command, you can basically give yourself full shell access to this specific node. And then if I just share that node over my tailnet with colleague, then we both see what's going on and nobody else on the internet can see what's going on either without screen shares, without, you know, compression crap, you know, all that stuff. It's, um, it's really nice. It reminds me, although I don't think it's as nice, but it reminds me of teammate, um, which is a similar vein. And I've used that on and off over the years to, to do like remote troubleshooting and stuff but i think it's more involved i used teammate with our buddy brent this week oh really okay so you've, you've used it before but the nice thing about teammate in particular is it does nap punching for you it's a fork of tmux and teammate lets you do instant terminal sharing so it's the two tools in a very similar vein one might be right for another use case where the other one isn't so two very useful terminal sharing applications Linode.com slash SSH. They have some great news. They're now part of Akamai, the Akamai, the top tiered network out there. But all the tools that we love, like the cloud manager, the API, the command line tool, all the stuff that lets us build quickly, back up quickly, deploy and scale in the cloud, that's still there. But now, now it's combined with Akamai's power and global reach. And they're expanding their services to offer more resources and more tooling while giving you the same old reliable, affordable and scalable solutions for projects, users, and businesses of all sizes. We've been messing around with self-hosted large language models. We try it over there on Linode. When we're trying something brand new, maybe with a new NixOS build like we did for Linux Unplugged, we do it on Linode. It's really powerful. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, they're expanding their data centers, giving you more data centers, more resources, and more access to help you grow your business and serve your customers or your project. So why wait? Go experience the power of Linode, now Akamai. Go to linode.com slash SSH. That's how you get the $100 and learn more. Learn more about how Linode's becoming Akamai. Learn how you can scale your applications, kick the tires and really try it, and see the expansive network that goes from cloud to edge. It all starts by going to linode.com slash SSH. I had one of those weekends where I probably slightly neglected my father duties in lieu of doing website stuff. Right. I completely overhauled the navigation for perfectmediaserver.com this weekend. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, it's been a bit. Well, it's been about a year, maybe. Well, I, I launched it on New Year's Eve 2020, or is it oh, New Year's okay. Eve 2021? I don't know. It was it was the th- the 30th, <laughs> the 31st of December 2020. Okay. Whichever New Year's that belongs to, the Eve belongs to, I'm not entirely sure. But yes, it's it's been a, a hot minute. And uh, I've updated the site a little bit, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of typos, a couple of pull requests, that kind of thing. But nothing quite as major as this. And since release, MK Docs, which is the platform that I based the the wiki on top of, has added tons and tons of features. So I've I've overhauled not only the navigation, but also the main landing page. So when you first load up the site, there's now a very simple grid of four cards that shows you, you know, tech stack. Tech stack, installation, advanced topics, hardware, and of course, the overview. 
Yeah, that kind of thing. And so my idea was, you know, if you land on this page and you've never heard of Perfect Media Server before, you have a very quick portal into the different areas and topics that are covered in the site. I also took the opportunity to start my journey on writing up NixOS. So there is a whole page in there talking about what my journey with NixOS has been like and the whole Flakes situation. I think we're going to mention Flake Hub in the post show this week. Uh, if you're interested in that, you know, make sure you're a, a subscriber to the the party membership and you'll get that post show. But it's been really interesting, you know, doing this stuff a couple of years removed from when I first did it. Do you, have, do you ever have that thing where you, where as a, a content creator, you listen back to old episodes and you're like, oh my God, I sound so crap. What was I thinking? Oh yeah. Oh, all the time. I either have that or I go, how did I have that figured out back then? But I don't understand how that works now. <laughs> yeah. Both things happen. <laughs> yeah, Because I will be honest, I was reading a lot of the uh, the articles that I'd written and posted on the website thinking, God, that's clunky. Why did you write it that way? I just, you know, I just didn't like it. So I've rewritten huge chunks of the website as well. There's still plenty more to do, uh, particularly in the NixOS land. But since the original publication, I've switched from Ubuntu to Proxmox as my primary instance, and the website doesn't really quite reflect that. And just a, just a bunch of stuff. Now, to talk shop for a second, the Perfect Media Server website has never made any money, and I don't intend for it to make money, to be honest. I've never served ads. I've never uh, really pushed the donations thing that's been in the corner, you know, the buy me a coffee button. Uh, I probably had 50 bucks maybe a hundred over the duration of that button being there, which is not nothing of course, but it doesn't pay for the running costs of the website. So now I, I know from the analytics that many thousands of you uh, find this site useful each month. And I thought therefore it only seemed fair that Squidfunk, who is the upstream developer of MK docs material theme that I'm using to build the, the site, you know, without the amazing, that amazing project, I thought it was only fair that he got some support as well to keep building this project. So I've signed up for the um, MK Docs Material Insiders program, which is $15 a month to contribute that back upstream as part of the GitHub Sponsors program. Oh, okay. Now that gives you access to a bunch of interesting stuff like pre-release features or subscriber-only features, insider-only features, sorry. Nice. One of those is the cards I talked about on the landing page, but another one that used to be insiders only is the brand new blog feature that's been added to mk docs so i've put a small link in the show notes to a news and update section for perfect media server so anytime i do anything that is relevant or something you know like a, a new interesting case is released or something comes to my attention I'll, I'll post little updates on there so if you want to throw that in your rss feed be my guest yeah that's nice get occasional updates when things change now, if this uh, website has saved you from buying an unraid license or something and and you're in a financial position to do so, I'd love it if you contribute a few dollars just to pass it back upstream to those, uh, you know, squid that Squidfunk developer that I talked about. It's not my goal for the site to be profitable. I just would love for it to cover its costs, which it currently doesn't. I just think it's important in this day and age of, you know, centralized knowledge and media sites imploding, Twitter, Reddit, that uh, independent resources of information like this stick around. So yeah, if you agree with me, then uh, get your wallet out, I suppose. It's a nice time, too, to consider it since it's just recently been updated. 
it's got some new information and it's being expanded in the future, it's a good time to kind of kick in. Now, as part of that, I took the opportunity to fix my GitHub action for deploying to production, which has been broken for approximately forever. Okay. So the idea behind the original GitHub action was when you make a a commit to the mainline branch, it will build the site and publish it and push it to my Linode VPS, which is running an Nginx container, which hosts the the built static site that MKDocs generates. Now, the new solution, full disclaimer, involves some tail scale so you can roll your eyes now yes 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 i am a paid corporate shill honestly i kind of would hope that it involves some tail scale (laughs) (laughs) so i ended up building a bit of a cursed github action over the weekend which solved my problem completely so what this thing does is it brings up a github action runner instance running ubuntu from there that runner connects to my tailnet using a tail scale github action Uh, You feed it your OAuth client ID in secret and then give your uh, runner a specific tag. So in this case, I tagged that instance as a CI instance. In my tail scale ACLs, I'm able to limit that node's blast radius, the scope, the things it can connect to using those tags. So at the moment, any other node that I I tag as a CI node, that runner can connect to. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If I wanted to, I could say that GitHub runner can only connect to the tag of Alex's basement server. And so it can event- it can essentially spin up a totally brand new environment every time, mm-hmm. but still get access to your tailnet. And then you restrict it on the ACL side as to what it can actually get access to. Absolutely. And it means it's got full access to everything that your tail scale, your tailnet has for DNS. Also means that you can take advantage of tail scale SSH. And the really nice thing about that is uh, I only learned this in Chicago. So this is this is fresh off the, the mills, as far as I'm concerned. And it absolutely blew my mind is that Tailscale SSH reuses the authentication token that you have to access your tailnet to SSH into the remote host. So what that means, dear listener, is that you don't need to install SSH keys anymore. If you're on your tailnet, you're good. Just let that yep. sink in for a second. It's huge. It's so great not to have to fuss with the keys anymore. I just put it on my tailnet and I got SSH. Yeah, because in the old days, I had to have um, my private key stored as a GitHub repository secret and then, uh, you know, the SSH user and run it on a specific port so that it was less of an attack vector and blah, 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 blah. Lots of reasons why it was a bad idea to have hard-coded credentials like that. So that now means I'm able to have the runner SSH into my Linode VPS from there, it's, it changes into the project directory and does a git pull to get the latest changes. Then it does a Docker Compose build, which is just the standard thing I do to build the website. I build the website in a container, and then it spits out through a volume mount the uh, the built MKDocs website. Here's where it gets probably a little bit cursed slash awesome. The MKDocs material insiders image is a private thing for insiders, sure. obviously. So that means you then have to authenticate to GitHub container registry and store extra tokens and just add a bunch of complexity. And I thought, how could I do this more easily? I've got a Git T instance in my basement, don't I? Which is also on my tailnet. Why don't I push the insiders image to the Docker registry built into Git T which, by the way, not many people know it has that functionality, but it does, and it works, and it's great. And then, from Linode, I can pull that image from my basement to the Linode VPS over tail scale, (laughs) 
do the build and everything just works. And you avoid the complexity required to otherwise authenticate it. It's one of those moments where the various light bulbs required to connect all those dots together took me most yes. of the weekend. And I was like, holy crap, this is going to completely change the way I do everything. Game changer. Yep, absolutely. That is really, really nice. Um, I mean, and the whole thing is private too, which is really, really slick. And I, I, I noticed there. So you're, you're building your MK docs inside a container. Is that just so you have like a consistent environment to build the website inside of? Is that why you're doing that? Yeah. I mean, I, otherwise I'd have to install MK docs on the VPS. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're touching the VPS. Yeah. Right. Or install it into the GitHub Actions runner environment, which is also a totally valid option. And I, I could do that up there and then R sync the stuff from the GitHub Actions across to the VPS. I just prefer to do it on the node itself because it has a lot more CPU than the GitHub runners do. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like it's more portable too. Like if it breaks, for example, which it did for the like the last year and a half, the way I've deployed the updates to the website is just SSH into the node, change to the directory, do a git pull, do a build, and then it deploys to Nginx. So kind of protects me from myself because I know that my, I will not get to fixing stuff as quickly as perhaps I should sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, for ages, I used that Apple Boy SSH GitHub runner, which is the way that you typically would do remote SSH commands. But this is just completely replaced that for me. And I don't have to store as many secrets in the repos anymore. And it's just really nice. I know, I know. Tailscale. It basically sounds like an advert, everything I just said. But, you know. It works. It's blown my mind. And I hope somebody else finds some utility in what I just said. <laughs> Now, the very last call to action for you as part of the uh, Perfect Media Server segment today is the case review section. I know a lot of you have computers, and I'm assuming most of them are in cases. So if you have a computer case you've used to put hard drives into, and you think it's good, bad, ugly, whatever, I would love it if you would take just 20 minutes out of your day and take a picture and submit a very short 200-ish word case review for perfectmediaserver.com. There aren't very many repositories of that kind of thing online of, of good media server cases. I'd love it if, if perfectmediaserver.com was it. 45homelab.com. Big, strong, fast storage servers with affordable, high-performance, high-capacity enterprise storage solutions for all industries and really all data size requirements. It is impressive. Go to 45homelabs.com and see what they got cooking up for your home lab. You guys remember when we had them on the show. He's back in episode 98, just before episode 199. And we talked about their mission to create a new market for the home lab. Something that's powerful, that's familiar to the enterprise, but yet in our price range with the capabilities we might expect. They listened to what we discussed and they've cooked it all up at 45homelab.com. They're going to have more information soon, so go try that out. You guys know them. This is 45 Drives. They maintain open designs. They have ongoing relationships with the open source community. They really build solution for enterprises of all sizes. They could really solve this for the home labber. So not only should you learn about 45 drives, perhaps for your work situation, or if you have serious data demands at home at 45drives.com, but for our self-hosters and as home labbers, go to 45homelab.com. That's 45homelab.com. Go check it out, sign up, and get the information because I think you're going to be impressed. 45homelab.com. So Philip writes, hey guys, I think I remember you mentioning a while ago some custom open source firmware for the WISE cameras. 
Is there any update on this or are there any other alternatives? I'm kind of hoping to set up some home surveillance solutions for the first time. And I've settled on using Shinobi over something like Blue Iris, but it feels a little odd putting proprietary cameras on an open source monitoring software. Do you know how far the wise cameras have come or if there are any other FOSS camera solutions? Besides building my own with a Raspberry Pi, that is. There's definitely a, it feels like a impedance mismatch where you build this whole open system and then you go buy these proprietary cameras that need to be configured with an app and all of that. There is the Wise Hacks project that we've covered before on the show, but they haven't released an update for quite a while. They do have their set of cameras that they're compatible with, and it helps. And there's projects like Wise Bridge, which will use the local Wise proprietary LAN video streaming protocol to capture the Wise video and then put it into standard feeds. But I honestly cannot recommend the Wise cameras as serious security cameras. The Wise Bridge in particular uh, will absolutely destroy your Wi-Fi network because those cameras are streaming, all of them, all the time, no matter what. Whereas typically they only stream one, maybe two cameras that you've got open on a couple of devices around your house, you know. So just bear that in mind too. It, it's I've had a couple of circumstances over the last few years where something odd happened outside of Lady Jupes and both times the cameras failed to capture it. Like, I, you know, cats walking by, dogs walking by, randos, that stuff never fails to capture. Me, you know, walking up the rig, scratching my butt, it captures that every single time. But two times in the history where some nefarious character was walking around the rig when we were somewhere and the cameras both times screwed up. And I, I think in part it's because they have budget CPUs and it's because they're Wi-Fi. And I think if you want truly rock solid home monitoring you're brought you're going to want to go wired and i hate saying that because it's hard for me to run ethernet but i think it's the reality philip is you want wired cameras i mean the the benefit of wired is you know most cameras are poe so it's only one wire that you've got to run yeah and those things are set it and forget it i mean i when i first moved into this house i guess four three and a half four years ago i put a few cameras up and i haven't really touched them since same with that blue mm -hmm. iris box i know you said that you've went with uh, shinobi instead but my blue iris just renewed i think it was 32 dollars for the next year or so i use that almost every day like if i hear a delivery truck coming like i just want to know is it stopping at my house or it's just uh it's one of those things you just set it and forget it and it's it's worth the extra few pennies to run the wires to buy the slightly better cameras it's it's just worth it in the long run i have gotten by with wise cams by having the Wise Bridge, having a dedicated 2.4 gigahertz just for the Wise Cams, and then I pull the feeds that the Wise Bridge creates into Home Assistant, and I pull them into VLC, and on iOS, there is an RTMP, RTSV, RTSP stream viewer app called IPCAM. It's so good. It costs money, but it's so, so good. And it works on Apple TV, too, which is nice. You can pull up a grid on your, your Apple TV. And so it it works, but I'm telling you, if somebody's been using it for a couple of years, I don't, I would invest more than 120 bucks <laughs> into the entire setup. It's, it's a, you get about $120 worth of value out of, out of your security camera system. <laughs> you can decide if, if that's a good choice or not. I, I'd say not, but uh, I do, I do get by. Pick money or reliability. Yeah, you can't. Uh, there's, two, there's two options. Pick one, right? Yes, exactly. All right. We got some great boost messages as well. Thank you, everybody who does write in at selfhosted.show slash contact. 
And then everybody who decides to send a message by boosting, we are experimenting with a new way to fund podcasting, which is a good time to be doing it. And Daja came in with our baller boost with 770,770 sats from Podverse. And they write, uh, I'm a little late, but here's some sevens for Alex. That's a lot of, that's a lot of sevens. It was. Odd question. My home lab is pretty janky. I got some containers on ThinkPads. I got some K3 clusters on Pies. I have a 5th Gen i7 box with cross-fired RX 580s for Plex. I use K to work a lot, but Proxmox is also appealing. Any suggestions on a good way to unify many machines to maybe have some semblance of node selection, affinity, etc.? Or is it all just a pipe dream? I mean, you already said it. Proxmox is, is probably the, the most open source, freedom-respecting way to go. I'm not going to condone pirating VMware necessarily, but if you know where to look, you can find a license for VMware. And that has some pretty fancy features in it too. But the downside of a, a VMware type solution, first of all, it's not open source. Second, it is you have to run an app called vCenter, which is typically a 12 to 16 gigabytes worth of memory type application. It's It's designed to run massive deployments it's not designed to run your home lab sorry but it's just not mm-hmm. and it's, it's windows only which might matter to some people and you know i mean Daja, i don't think there's any shame in that thinkpad game honestly i would bet we have a good amount of listeners that are running home servers on thinkpads you know you get an old laptop they're still completely solid they run linux like a champ as long as the hardware is still solid you're, I, I mean i don't think there's anything wrong with that so you know how two and a half admins every answer ends up with zfs sure I think we're going to start turning into being the NixOS show. Yeah. Because uh, I tell you, if you have a centralized build server and, yeah. you're running, and you're running libvirt on all of these things, you could then connect in with vert manager. I think it was the name of the app. Yeah. Uh, and connect to that over a remote socket and uh, just manage it all through Nix and push the build remotely. And <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love there it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's some solid thinking. All right. Morningstar is another baller booster this week. 500,000 sats from Podverse. Hey, Chris and Alex. Found self-hosted a few years back and have been listening ever since. Never missing a week. The show helps me with my grueling commute into New York City since my big tech, tech company job has called me back into the office three times a week. Oh, Ooh. man, I bet, that, I bet that is a slog of a drive. I'm glad we could be there for you. He goes on, I know things are tough for everyone right now, and I wanted to give you guys a boost to hit your goal all at once. Your show is a refuge from the commuter life for me, and I'm sure plenty of others. Keep up the great work, and we'll keep listening. Thank you, Morningstar. It really is lovely getting boosts like that, because there was a time in my life where that was me, where I was the one commuting, listening to you in particular, and tech snap days where you and Alan talked for hours about Heartbleed and who knows what else, you know? So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was one of my inspirations for getting into podcasting, too, was early on in my tech career, I did a lot of driving to clients in tech. I spent hours commuting. It's just not enough. Just imagine what else you could accomplish with that time. Huh? <laughs> well, that was it, kind of. The audiobooks and podcasting were like a way for me to semi-productively spend that time. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, thanks for writing in Morningstar. Appreciate that. Yes, thank you, Morningstar. Ross also came in with 500,000 sats using Podverse. Love the show. Um, I'm here for more hot IoT talk and low-power home servers. <laughs> I do like that. And my IoT gear was running hot, you know. I hadn't I hadn't really pushed the Odroid through high summer heats yet, where the booth is like 95 degrees and whatnot, and it survived flawlessly. Not a single complaint 
I don't even, I didn't even notice any CPU throttling. Maybe it happened. Didn't even notice. Very happy. The Odroid survived the heat. Fantastic. Glad to hear it. Nev comes in with 43,311 sats using Podverse. That's a zip code for the highest natural peak in the state of Ohio. I can say that for my BetterFS RAID 6 array of seven disks, it's been running fine for about three months now using weekly scrub tasks and balances. Hmm. Weekly, huh? Wow. I definitely don't do that. Uh, he goes on to say, I wonder if I'm being too aggressive. I back up regularly and I do test to make sure the backups work. I think more home labbers should give it a look if they have a spare machine and maybe help contribute feedback. The ButterFS devs could probably use the help. Well, I believe 43,311 works out to be Belfonte, Ohio. So hello, Belfonte. <laughs> I also, I know you don't necessarily agree, Alex, but I also feel like everyone should experiment with ButterFS. Maybe don't put your most important stuff on there. You know, here's, here's my take. If you can't, Afford to put your root file system on ButterFS, you're doing it wrong. You should be able to lose your root file system and be fine. Totally agree with that one. Yeah, yeah. I was expecting to need to go and get a glass of milk to deal with the spicy take I was about to get, you know. But <laughs> I'm not saying put your most valuable data on there, right? I'm not saying your, your pictures or your home, you know, media collection or whatever. Keep that on ZFS because why not? ZFS is fantastic. There's fantastic, nothing really to complain about. But on the root file system, Play around with ButterFS. I challenge you, dear listener, play around. Whenever I hear anybody talk about imaging entire computers that works in tech, like I can kind of understand it for a family member, sort of. Yeah. But if it's your laptop, if this laptop that I have next to me, I'm using to record this show, went pop tomorrow, there is nothing on here that isn't already synced elsewhere that I actually care about. Maybe something in my downloads folder might miss. I might miss that, for example. But for the most part, it's all cloud-based. It's all synced over sync thing or NextCloud or whatever else. It's on my NAS, you know. So I, I, I always think whenever I hear someone talk about backing up entire systems, that you're kind of holding it wrong, you know, to quote Steve Jobs. Yeah, I tend to agree too. It's, in fact, I don't want to restore the old system because it's likely several months Behind. exactly are you backing up your doc cache directory when are you ever going to want that back like yeah. Yeah. presumably the entire reason you've wiped your home directory or the rest of the system is because something in your doc cache directory has gone screwy on you <laughs> so yeah, yeah i find it very unlikely you want something like that back again yeah maybe maybe for a family member's computer that you're doing tech support for or something like that that's where i can see it making some sense but yeah i uh i'd like to know if we got belfonte ohio right let us know VT52 comes in with 24,576 sats. He sent us in uh, some information about Nick's OS in permanence mode. And he also writes that he's waiting while he was waiting for the next episode to drop. He listened to some other podcasts that cover self-hosting. They were, quote, so, quote, good <laughs> that he felt the need to come back and show us some extra love. <laughs> you guys consistently hit that sweet spot of concise, engaging and non-judgmental. Thank you very much. We appreciate that, VT. <laughs> God, those other guys are a bunch of jerks, aren't they? <laughs> those guys, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially those Coda Radio guys. Watch out for them. A couple of jerks over there, Coda Radio. <laughs> yeah. God. <laughs> Robes and everything. They're just they're like Jeff Bridges over there. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so what's interesting about NixOS Impermanence is it basically wipes your system every time you reboot. So it's... It's really a true test of the last commenter's uh, opinion of back backing up and stuff like that and making sure that everything that you have that needs to be persistent is stored 
in a persistent, friendly manner. So it sort of forces your hand to treat the machine like a cattle instead of a pet, right? You really got to make sure that every time you reboot that thing, you've accounted for everything because it's gone. <laughs> I could see that being really useful on uh, like a cloud VPS or something, where sure. that you know it's it's a little more publicly accessible than the thing in my basement. Although these days, probably not much, you know, with the internet being what it is. Uh, you know, something like that that is running public-facing services where the attack surface is perhaps slightly higher. But be curious to know, though, what your use cases for a fully impermanent system are beyond just a technical exercise. Our last couple of boosts to round us out. Paul J comes in with a row of Grandpa Ducks, 22,222 sats. I put tail scale on some devices that were shipped all around the world. Everything was going fine until a handful of months, and they all stopped working. It turns out they needed to be re-authenticated but the unable to connect warnings printed by so fast that nobody could send me the link before it scrolled off the screen. And I wasn't the domain controller, so I was totally powerless to extend the auth time. It was a total nightmare. How do I get around this problem in the future with a self-hosted solution? Thinking about Headscaler, Nebula, ZeroTier, all those things. Ideally, it'd be fully open source, long off periods with the fewest moving parts to manage. Well, speaking about Tailscale specifically, you can extend the key expiry to be forever yeah so set it to never expire if you want to if you aren't the domain controller that presents a unique set of challenges um i would potentially suggest if possible you created a second tailnet where you are the controller there's no reason why you couldn't create another one you know three users and 100 devices are free so unless this is a, a work scenario then maybe it's not possible but that's probably what i would do there now i would say about the error messages and the uh the thing scrolling off the screen too quickly. I was in a chat with a couple of the engineers this week having that exact same conversation. So we're aware of it and there are going to be changes in that area. I can't promise anything at all. I do think if you could get access to the command line and you type tail scale status, it would reprint the authentication URL again. So you wouldn't necessarily have to retrieve it from the console output. The other thing you could do is set these things up with auth keys um, so that you just have a script a script that runs every time the node reboots and uses the auth key to authenticate with your centralized tailscale server. The other thing is if the operating system supports cloud init, you could put that authentication key in there as well. Hmm. been hearing more and more about NarrowLink, but I don't have any hands-on. With Nebula, I do. It's a more manual process. What I've decided to do, if, I guess I'll just speak to my, to my, to my use case, I've got two machines that I've just set not to expire. All my other machines, they, they routinely expire, but I've made exception for two of my machines to just never expire the key. And you can do that in the tail scale dashboard, but you got to be able to have those, those permissions. Um, and I think that's probably the way to go for certain things. And then our last boost, we really want to get to all of them, but for time, we do focus on a handful. But then what we do is we share all of the boosts with everybody on the team in our group messaging, and then we also enshrine them all in the doc. So thank you, everybody who boosts, and we'll get to the totals in a moment. Marcel comes in with our last boost for this episode, 22,222 sats, a row of McDucks. Marcel says, thanks for the show. Do you have any recommendations on personal finance or budgeting apps? I'm using Actual, but I don't love it. I'd appreciate some suggestions. Alex, I remember you mentioned an invoice generator a while ago. I would love some more details on exactly what that does or doesn't do for you. Thanks. I think the invoice generator in question is probably Invoice Ninja. I've used that for the last three, four, five years or so to send various invoices to different folks and it just gets on with the job. I don't really keep it very updated because I think there was a big uh, major update 
a year or so ago and it broke a lot of stuff for me and I just left it. I mean, I use it a couple of times a month. It's not worth a huge amount of effort for me to, to keep it up to date. It's not publicly exposed, etc., etc. But so far as personal finance and budgeting apps go, no, not really. There's, there's plenty of options. Firefly, I think, comes to mind. I've tried a few, but honestly, even the hosted services that there are all kind of stink. They all kind of suck. They've got to integrate with your bank account to be of any use. Otherwise, you've got to en- enter every single transaction manually. And I don't know about you, but I ain't got time for that. Yeah. It's just an area of self-hosting, just an area of software in general that just doesn't seem to be a huge amount of demand for. So the software that's out there kind of stinks. I'll tell you, it's really easy. I don't know why you guys didn't think of this. All you got to do is make so much money that it doesn't matter what your finances are. <laughs> that's all. That's the solution. What's the problem? What's the right, big deal? It's certainly Fire- a solution, yes. Yeah, Firefly is the one that I think probably gets the most mentions in our community. So I'll, I'll toss a link to that. Um, it seems to be also the one that just has the biggest network effect and highest range of compatibility. But this is an area we could use some suggestions. What I would say as well is that the Awesome Self-Hosted list this week had a brand new coat of paint. So they've got a brand new website, awesome-selfhosted.net. It has search at last. So if you want to go and look at something a bit more engaging than just a GitHub readme page with a bunch of links, uh, maybe the uh, finance section on there will have something for you. Great idea. I got to check that out. I I read about the update, but I have not seen it since then. The search sounds nice. Thank you, everybody who boosted in. We had 20 boosters, thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads. We had 20 people who boosted 23 boosters in, or 23 boosts in total. And uh, get this, 1.9 million sats. It's unbelievable. We almost hit 2 million sats on this episode. We really, really appreciate the support. Everybody who boosts in, we're really trying to build something here that could be a future that uh, is not directly attached to sponsors or maybe some new thing. It's it's all coming together right now, and it's a big part of it is your support. If you want to boost in, you got a couple of avenues. If you really like your podcast app, you, you know, you're not feeling podcast app curious. I understand. Not all of us do. Just get Albie, getalby.com. You top that off with some sats either directly. They've got a couple of options in the app now. Or what I do. I use the Cash app. I like the Cash app a lot. And then I just send the stats over the Lightning Network to Albi. But you could use Strike or whatever it works in your locale. If you're ready to try a new podcast app, if you're app curious, I understand. You know, you get the seven-year podcast app itch. Newpodcastapps.com. Go try one out. There's several out there that are fantastic. I really like Podverse because it's cross-platform, Android, iOS, and web. And so, like, I'm listening on the road, and then I get home, and I can finish it in my browser on my big speakers. They also have a $1,200 bounty out right now for anybody that gives them completed Android auto support. And they all have that. They have all the info up on their GitHub page. It's pretty nice. Go check it out. New If you want to try one of those and you can also support us by becoming a member. It's like the foundation of the show. You can become an SRE at selfhosted.show slash SRE, become a direct supporter of our production and you get an ad free version of the show, which includes a post show as a thank you. And don't forget, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Keep an eye on that page for any last minute events that pop up. You know, Chicago is a great example. All Things Open is coming up just the week before Linux Fest Northwest. And I'm fairly certain that I'll do something in Raleigh around that sort of time. So keep an eye on that page. Uh, there is a Spokane meetup that I saw. Coming up. Yep. Coming up, up soon um, in like the 16th of September. Although only like one or two people have signed up. As we record, although, you know, with our schedule, maybe by the time this comes out, more people have. So I don't know. We'll see. 
we'll see. I'll, I'll head out there and maybe I'll just be drinking beer by myself at the Iron Goat. Spokane, September 16th. Well, worse things have happened at sea, huh? Yeah, at least there's beer. <laughs> As you well know, self-hosted.show slash contact is the place to go to get in touch with us. And you can find me over at alex.ktz.me. And come say hi in the Matrix. You have details at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash matrix. I'm Chris Elias on there. As always, thanks for listening, everybody. That was self-hosted.show slash 104.